0: We explore the rise and fall of Gondor, the southern kingdom, once ruled by Isildur and Anarion, sons of Elendil. We'll track the line of kings from beginning to end, explore the ruling steward's attempts to repel Mordor, and a stranger who comes by way of Rohan to lead Gondor's armies. Welcome! In the Lord of the Rings podcast, we wander the world of J.R.R. Tolkien by exploring the foundational epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoyed Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. bye fellow wanderers! Let's check the map for the context of today's tales. If none of this makes sense, back up and listen to some previous episodes. It is the Third Age of Middle-earth. Alindil and his sons established two kingdoms in Middle-earth after the fall of Númenor, Arnor in the north and Gondor in the south. Arnor slowly dwindled in people and power, but the line of Isildur from father to son managed to remain unbroken. Today we explore the rising power of the southern kingdom of Gondor as told in Appendix A to Return of the King, titled Annals of the Kings and Rulers. Two main phases mark the major periods for Gondor. First, the rule of the kings, as they were descended from Elindil's son Anarion. This period is by far the longest, lasting about 2,000 years, and ends with the last king, Aarnur. But that would eventually lead to the second major phase of Gondor, the period of the ruling stewards, which lasted for about 1,000 years, the last principal steward was Denethor, with whom you are likely familiar. This period ended with the crowning of Aragorn Elisar, who reunited the kingdoms. In total, there were 31 kings in Gondor. Alindil's son Anarion was crushed in the battle with Barad-dûr in which Sauron was overthrown, and Elendil was slain, so Isildur took up the kingship for the northern realm and left the ruling of the southern realm to his nephew Menendil, son of Anarion. In the time of the 7th king, Gondor was attacked by, quote, wild men out of the east. In the ensuing battles, Gondor expanded its eastern borders. In the time of the 12th king, Gondor started to bolster its navy, and expanded its power west and south along the coasts, even taking the city of Umbar for a while. At the height of its power, Gondor laid claim to the lands as far as the southern tips of Mirkwood Forest, east to the Sea of Rune, and south to Umbar. The kingdom of Harad in the south paid homage to Gondor. But, quote, Mordor was desolate, but was watched over by great fortresses that guarded the passes. To illustrate this point, that Mordor was watched over by great fortresses, there is a great passage in the chapter called The Tower of Cirith-Ungol in Return of the King. Frodo has been captured by the orcs, and Sam is trying to find him. Quote, As he gazed at it, suddenly Sam understood, almost with a shock that this stronghold had been built not to keep enemies out of Mordor, but to keep them in. It was indeed one of the works of Gondor long ago, an eastern outpost of the defenses of Ethelion, made when, after the last alliance, men of Western Ness kept watch on the evil land of Sauron, where his creatures still lurked. In time, the king started, quote, to love ease and did nothing to maintain the power that they had inherited. It was at this time that the jeweled crown of gondor was created at first the crown had been a plain helm which was believed to be the helm that isildur wore in battle quote but in the days of ad tanatar this was replaced by the jeweled helm that was used in the crowning of aragorn here is the description of the crown from return of the king quote, it was shaped like the helms of the guards of the citadel save that it was loftier and it was all white and the wings at either side were wrought of pearl and silver, in the likeness of the wings of a seabird, for it was the emblem of kings who came over the sea, and seven gems of adamant were set in the circlet, and upon its summit was set a single jewel, the light of which went up like a flame. With this love of ease, quote, the watch upon Mordor was neglected, and, quote, the waning of Gondor had already begun. The neglect on the watch of Mordor is demonstrated well in that passage about Sam in the tower that I referenced earlier. Here, too, the vigilance had failed, and treachery had yielded up the tower to the lord of the Ringwraiths, and now for long years it had been held by evil things. In the north, Gondor had adopted the realm of Rovanion. This is the land around the forest of Mirkwood. The men who lived there, quote, had increased greatly in the peace brought by the power of Gondor. The kings showed them favor, since they were of nearest and kin of lesser men to the Dúnedain being for the most part descendants of those peoples from whom the Adain of old had come. These men proved to be a great defense against the wild men of the east. One king pushed back the men of the east from the borders of Gondor, and on his return he fortified the river Anduin, and forbade any stranger to pass down the river beyond the Emon Mule. The Emon Mule is the rock labyrinth that Frodo and Sam attempt to pass through, and meet and tame the creature Golem. The same king also, quote, built the pillars of the Argonath at the entrance to Nanhithioel. Even casual observers are familiar with the Argonath. These gigantic statues were carved in the likeness of Isildur and Anarion, sons of Elindil, and joint rulers of the southern kingdom. Quote, the left hand of each was raised palm outwards in gesture of warning. In each right hand there was an axe. Upon each head there was a crumbling helm and crown. Great power and majesty they still bore, the silent wardens of a long-vanished kingdom. Even Boromir bowed his head as the boats whirled by, frail and fleeting as little leaves, under the enduring shadow of the sentinels of Numenor. The king who built the Argonath sent his son, Valachar, quote, as an ambassador to dwell a while with the Northmen, so that he could learn their language and manners before he would rule them. Quote, but Valachar far exceeded his father's designs. He married Vidumavi, daughter of the Northmen's king. For the nobles of Gondor this was an unacceptable marriage, and they rejected Valakar's son as their king. Therefore, when Eldakar succeeded his father, there was war in Gondor. This period of fighting for the crown is called the Game of Thrones, I mean the Kinstrife. There was battle in the capital city of Scyliath, during which the Palantir that was stationed there had been lost. If you're keeping track from last episode, that's three of seven Palantiri that have been lost, so far all in water. Another nobleman, Castamir, had led the rebellion against the foreign-born Eldikar, and after the king escaped to the north, claimed the throne of Gondor for himself. It wasn't long until the people could see that Castamir, the Usurper was haughty, ungenerous, and cruel. But in ten years' time, Eldikar had developed enough force to retake Gondor, pushing Castamir to take his fleet and escape south back to Umbar. Thus, Umbar was continually at war with Gondor. One of the tragedies of losing Umbar to the rebels was the loss of a monument to Numenor's greatness. This monument had been built at Umbar in honor of the place where Ar-Fadazon, last king of Numenor, had humbled Sauron. It was a white pillar, quote, crowned with a globe of crystal that took the rays of the sun and of the moon and shone like a bright star. This description reminds me of the Silmarils, which themselves contained the light of the two trees of Valinor. Elgar took up rule in Gondor, but it was clear that the waning of the royal line continued. The kinstrife was the first great evil to fall on Gondor. The second was, quote, a deadly plague that came with dark winds out of the east. The king and all his children died, and great numbers of people, it would seem that Sauron was not above biological warfare. The king at this time was the twenty sixth king named Telemnar. When he died, quote, the white tree of Anor also withered and died. His nephew was able to find a sapling and replanted it, and ordered the king's house to be set up in Minas Anor. This white tree was a descendant of the White Tree in Numenor. Muriel's father, Tarpalantir, you remember that old crazy guy in season one of Rings of Power, He had given a prophecy concerning Numenor's white tree that, quote, when the tree perished, then also would the line of kings come to its end. Aragorn even laments the withered tree, quote, when shall I see a sign that it will ever be otherwise, when he was worried that Arwen won't ever come to Minas Tirith. For a few generations, the kings could do little but maintain their borders and slowly rebuild the population. Another great evil came to Gondor, quote, the invasion of the Wainriders, which sapped the waning strength of Gondor in wars that lasted for almost a hundred years. The Wainriders were an allied group of peoples who came from the east and fought in chariots. As if invasion wasn't bad enough, quote, at this time it is thought that the Ringwraiths re-entered Mordor. Gondor was able to push the Wainriders back into the east, and it was at this time that emissaries from the northern kingdom of Arnor came to Gondor, quote, for at last they perceived that some single power and will was directing the assault from many quarters upon the survivors of Númenor. Among these northern ambassadors was none other than Arvidui, now a prince. We covered Arvidui in the previous episode. He was the last king of Arnor who fled to the far cold north, and his ship was crushed by the ice. However, after some time, Arvidui also claimed the crown of Gondor, even though he himself was of the northern line of Isildur. His main claim was that even though Isildur had taken the kingship of the north, and left the ruling of Gondor to his nephew, he did not relinquish his royalty in Gondor, nor intend that the realm of Elindil should be divided forever. A steward of Gondor, Palundur, was chief against this claim, and urged the people of Gondor instead to choose Aarnil a successful military commander who was also of the royal house. Arvidui could not press his claim further, as the Witch-King of Angmar was renewing his assault on Arthedain in the north. Ayrnil was wise, and when he received the crown he sent messengers to Arvidui, saying that he recognized the high lineage in Arnor, and, quote, I will send to your aid when you have need, so far as I am able. But this aid was slow coming, for Ayrnil had his own problems to deal with. When he had heard of Arvadui's plight in the north, he sent forth a great fleet and as many forces as he could spare. But as you know from last week's episode, it was too late. However, Círdan the shipwright saw an opportunity. With the great forces from Gondor, the elves could drive back Angmar and overthrow the Witch-King. They gathered their forces and marched on the Witch-King as he sat in the former capital of Arnor. There was a great battle, and the forces of Angmar were routed and began to retreat. The Witch-King fled, trying to reach the safety of his own realm. But the cavalry of Gondor overtook him and cut off his escape. And an elven army from Rivendell, led by the great Glorfindel, had also arrived. The witch king, quote, singled out the captain of Gondor for the fullness of his hatred. This captain was the king's son, Aarnur. Aarnur accepted the witch king's challenge, but his horse spooked and bore him away from the battle. Quote, Then the witch king laughed, and none that heard it ever forgot the horror of that cry. But Glorfindel rode up then on his white horse, and in the midst of his laughter the Witch King turned to flight. So, side story here, who is Glorfindel? If you've only seen the movies, you're missing out on this great character. Glorfindel is a powerful elf lord in the house of Elrond, but he was also a lord in Gondolin in the First Age, before its fall who single-handedly fought and defeated a Balrog while defending the escape of Gondolin's refugees, including Elrond's father. Glorfindel had been reincarnated at some point, and he is introduced in the books as the elf who finds Aragorn and takes Frodo to Rivendell, after Frodo had been stabbed by the Morgul Blade. He's powerful only as an ancient elf lord can be. What's more, he has advice for a Arnor and a prophecy to make. When Earnur of Gondor finally mastered his horse, he made to pursue the Witch-King for his humiliation. Lorfindel forbade Aarnur from the pursuit, saying, He will not return to this land. Far off yet is his doom, and not by the hand of man will he fall. Does that prophecy bring any great scenes from the movies to mind? I'm thinking of Return of the King, when the king of the Nazgul has knocked down King Theoden, and Eowyn defends her king. The Nazgul says, You fool, no man can kill me. To which Eowyn replies, I am no man, and stabs him in the face. It's definitely a top 10 favorite scene for me. Anyway, that prophecy was given by Glorfindel during the Third Age after the battle in the north where the elves and the men of Gondor drove back and shattered the kingdom of Angmar. But we're not done yet with Aarnur and the Witch King because their rivalry will lead to the ending of the line of kings and place the responsibility for ruling Gondor on the Line of Stewards. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back.
2: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify?
0: Aarnor became king in 2043 of the Third Age. The king of Minas Morgul, quote, challenged him to single combat, taunting him that he had not dared to stand before him in the battle in the north. The steward Mardil was able to restrain King Aarnor for a time, but seven years later, the king of Minas Morgul renewed the challenge. He rode with a few knights to the gate of Minas Morgul, the very gate that Frodo would be inexplicably drawn to, with the one ring roughly a thousand years later. However, quote, None of that writing were ever heard of again. The people of Gondor believed that Aearnur was tricked and tortured. Quote, but since there were no witnesses of his death, Mardil the good steward ruled Gondor in his name. Eärnur had no children, and the descendants of the line of kings had dwindled, and no one in Gondor wanted to repeat the kinstrife, so no one came forward to reclaim the crown. Quote, Therefore, though the years lengthened, the steward continued to rule Gondor. And the crown of Valindil lay in the lap of King Eirnil in the houses of the dead, where Eirnir had left it. One quick reference here. If we fast forward to the crowning of Aragorn, it was Faramir who went into the tombs and retrieved the crown. He said, I have today brought hither from Rath-Dinin, the crown of Eirnir the last king, whose days passed to the time of our long fathers of old. Thus began the second major phase of Gondor's history that of the ruling stewards. The stewards were descended from a noble Numenorian. The office became hereditary, with, quote, each new steward taking office with the oath to hold the rod and rule in the name of the king until he shall return. The stewards wielded just as much power as the king's, yet some believed that one of the royal line of the north may someday claim the throne, so the ruling stewards, quote, hardened their hearts against the ancient northern kingdom. Gondor was, quote, under constant threat. During the time of the stewards, the Nazgul had taken up Minas Morgul as their abode, and orcs entered into the land of Ithilien. Corsairs from Umbar in the south harried Gondor's coasts. The men of the south in Herad were eager to throw off Gondor's influence. Again from the east a great attack came, and Gondor's armies were almost swept away, if not for the help of a distant kin that came from the north between the Misty Mountains and Mirkwood Forest. These were led by Errol the Young, who swept away Gondor's attackers. As a recompense and token of friendship, the steward gave Erl the north Gondor region of Kalanendron to dwell in, which Errol gladly accepted, then moved his people to, renaming the land Rohan. Thus Gondor gained an ally on its northern border, and for many years the kings of Rohan and the stewards of Gondor maintained their friendship. One small portion of that land that Gondor did not give to the Rohirrim was Isengard, with the black tower or thing. The keys of that tower were given to Saruman the White, who had journeyed in the east and no doubt would be a powerful friend to Gondor. In the reign of the 21st steward, the White Tree of Gondor died. Quote, but it was left standing until the king returns, as the saying went, for no seedling could be found. Sauron was moving again and gathering his forces in Mordor. All the lands east of the Anduin were infested by orcs. Sauron rose again and declared himself openly, and he re-entered Mordor long prepared for him. Then Badadur was raised once more, and Mount Doom burst into flame. One steward, named Ekthelion, attempted to strengthen his realm against Mordor. He received help and counsel from a great captain called Thorongil, but no one knew his true name nor in what land he was born. He had come to Gondor via Rohan and was a great leader. Thorongil convinced Échelion the Steward to allow him to take a force and put down the threat from Umbar. There Thorongil overthrew the corsairs, even throwing their captain into the dark waters himself. When he returned victorious to Gondor, his men were surprised that he would not return to Minas Tirith but instead went alone to the east towards the mountain of shadow that bordered Mordor. The departure of Thorongil was much to the liking of Ecthelion's son Denethor. Denethor, quote, was a proud man, tall, valiant, and more kingly than any man that had appeared in Gondor for many lives of men, and he was wise also, and far-sighted, and learned in lore. This Denethor, son of Ecthelion, is the steward of Gondor that we see in the books and movies, the father of Boromir and Faramir, huge fan of cherry tomatoes, and not a fan of Gandalf. As I said, Denethor did not consider Thorongil's departure a loss, because in the hearts of the people, Denethor had always come second place to Thorongil. Though they never met, there was only one issue in which their counsels to Ecthelion were at odds Thorongil often warned Ecthelion not to put trust in Saruman the White. But to welcome rather Gandalf the Grey, but there was little love between Denethor and Gandalf. Denethor was keen and had a quote subtle mind, and he was able to discern who the stranger Thorongil truly was, Aragorn son of Aerithorn, heir of Isildur in the Northern Kingdom, who had rode with the warriors of Rohan and served Denethor's father under a presumed name, while subduing Gondor's enemies. So Denethor, quote, suspected that Thorongil, a.k.a. Aragorn, and Gandalf, designed to supplant him. Denethor became steward in 2984 of the Third Age. He married and later had two sons, whom you know and love, Boromir and Faramir. But his wife died just 12 years into their marriage. Denethor also dared to do what none of the stewards before him would, look into the Palantir. If you're keeping track, there's seven stones. Denethor has one, Saruman has one, the one at Minas Morgul clearly had been stolen by Sauron, three were lost in water, and one remained in the tall towers in the north that are west of the shire. In using the Palantir, Denethor foresaw that, quote, the assault of Moror would come in his time. He learned great knowledge, for the stone that he used was most closely aligned with the stone in Sauron's possession, but it came with a cost. He, quote, aged before his time by his contest with the will of Sauron. His pride and his despair increased, and in his mind, he believed he was alone in the fight against Sauron, and, quote, mistrusted all others who resisted Sauron unless they served himself alone. Boromir grew to be a great man at arms, quote, fearless and strong, while Faramir was, quote, gentle in bearing and a lover of lore and of music though his courage was no less than his brother's. Faramir welcomed Gandalf whenever he came to the city, and from him Faramir learned even greater wisdom, this pleasing Denethor all the more. You may remember this exchange between Faramir and Denethor, which is somewhat rehashed in the movie, but in the book reads like this, Do you wish then, said Faramir, that our places had been exchanged? Yes, I wish that indeed, said Denethor, for Boromir was loyal to me, and no wizard's pupil. He would have remembered his father's need, and would not have squandered what fortune gave. He would have brought me a mighty gift. Also, in the extended edition of Return of the King, Faramir and Pippin have a tender-hearted conversation, where Faramir says that Boromir and his father were so alike and strong. And Pippin reassures Faramir, saying, I think you have strength of a different kind. I think Tolkien, a man who loved art and lore, rather than the art of war, felt a real kinship with Faramir. Nevertheless, though their father had a clear favorite, there was no animosity between the brothers. Quote, and after the war, the days of the ruling stewards came to an end, for the heir of Isildur and Anarion returned, and the kingship was renewed, and the standard of the white tree flew once more from the tower. we blasted through three thousand years of Gondor history. We saw great evils come to Gondor, like Plague and Nazgul kings. We saw moments of glory when their realm and power increased, and they created great statues of Isildur and Anarion at the Argonath. But the line of kings came to an end, and the ruling stewards protected the realm until the heir of Isildur could return. And speaking of Isildur's heir, come back next time as we wander your favorite Middle-earth romance and explore the little-known tale of Aragorn and Arwen. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at More of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost.
1: Raise your hand if this has happened
0: to you today. You're in the middle of work, you're knocking things off the to-do list, getting stuff done, and your kid asks you to play. Do you drop everything? Do you ask them to wait a minute? What do you do? If you're like me, you don't always say yes right away. The kid moves on, you get busy, and you forget to circle back around and play. An opportunity to make a memory has been lost, and the dad guilt settles in. Not so anymore. I've developed a simple game that will enable you to take those small moments and have fun. It's called Dad's Adventure Dice Digital Edition. My five-year-old daughter asks me nearly every day, can we do Dad Adventure Dice? What follows are some quick rolls of the dice that lead to a fun activity with an intriguing twist. Within five or ten minutes, we've had a lot of fun, shared a lot of laughter, and made a memory together. Download your own Dad's Adventure Dice today. Visit store.adventures.dad to download yours. That's store.adventure.dad to download Dad's Adventure Dice.